Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Gail. Hi, and I'm Catherine. We're delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who lead lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. Hello, Martha Sue Yeary. Hi, Gail. How are you? Good. Catherine and I are so pleased to have you on the show. It's a great pleasure for us to bring our listeners, you, Martha Sue Yeary, age 71, from San Diego, California, to our show today. When I first met you in California at my son Steve Olsher's New Media Summit, I definitely did not identify you as a lifelong golfer and teacher. <laughs> Yet, Martha Sue, you are the reigning LPGA Teaching Professional of the Year, elected unanimously by the prestigious International Association of Top Professionals. The themes that we're going to discuss with you today include the path that led you to golf in the first place, how you created a unique business based on teaching golf, in what ways you own your own game, a precept you teach your students, and what the future will bring as you look ahead to your 80s. Martha Sue Yeary, welcome to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined, and let's start our conversation with you telling us something about your background and how that led you to golf. Okay, well, thank you both very much for having me. Um, I look forward to being able to share my thoughts about what this, quote, age bracket can do for you and, and how we can help other people go, oh, wow, I don't need to sit down and die, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, I think yeah, that's really important that people get that message. So um, looking back about how what led to my golf career, which is really funny, I um, I remember when I was a young girl in Houston growing up that I remember riding in the car with my mom to go take my brother and my cousin, boy cousins, to go play golf. Not one time did they ever say to me, you want to swing a golf club? Mm -hmm. Nothing was said about that. Mm -hmm. And um, then when I got married and my husband at the time was um, avid golfer, very good golfer. And when he wasn't working, he as a CPA, when he, it's like he was out playing golf. And so I, I actually took up golf in self-defense because (laughs) I thought I said that to somebody the other day and they went, Oh, you thought he was going to hurt you? No, oh. I didn't know. I don't mean that kind of self-defense. So I'd have a golf club to hit him with, you know, it's like, no, 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 I don't mean that. But I took it up because I thought this was something that was taking him away. If I'm going to have any part of life with him, then I need to do something that he's doing. 
Uh-huh. So I was pregnant with my second baby girl and uh, had a less than a two-year-old. So life was very busy. And my neighbor said, well, come on, we'll go play nine holes. And I'm like, uh, I don't have any clubs. And she said, well, you can use my husband's. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we went out and we pulled carts by introduction to golf. Now, mind you, my husband then didn't say, well, why don't you go hit some balls first? Not one word. So we went out and, um, you know, it's funny. I learned a term that day of golf because my balls were all on the ground. They just all were like skimming the ground. And those are called worm burners. And I had almost every shot that I hit was just like barely above the ground. So if a worm stuck his head up, it was going to get chopped off. And I hit one shot. We were almost through. We played nine holes and we were almost through. And I will never, ever forget that one shot that when I hit it, it went up high in the air and it was long. Mm. And I turned and looked behind me to see if someone had hit a ball over our heads. Because <laughs> it was foreign sure. to what, you know, and... Little did I know, but looking back at that, the the thing that makes you want more is one shot. It's only one shot that that makes you say, "Okay, I can do that again. I want to do that again. I want more. I want more." And I was smitten at that point. And so then I don't know how many more months later that I had my daughter, but um, I would rush to the nursery and take my two that were under two years old and go out and play nine holes, but I never practiced. So I attended golf. That's really all I did. But it was like it got me around other people. It didn't do any good for me playing with him because in order to play with him, his mother gave me a Valium to take one day. So I'm like, uh, this is not working. You know, it's like this is not what I thought this was going to be. But I, my golf game improved. But I played and never practiced. I took some lessons, but I still never practiced. Because if you recall, when you had children, when I had, when they were two years, 21 months apart, I would rush out, play nine holes, and I'd rush home and I'd do all my mommy stuff that had to be done. So there you know, really wasn't extra time. So when I got the kids in school, one day I said, I'm tired of this. This is ridiculous. I'm putting too much energy, too much time, too much money and too much time away from my daughters and their activities for me to go play golf, to play the way that I'm playing and be disappointed with it, knowing the shots that I can hit, but I can't ever put them together. And I said, I'm going to get really good. I made this announcement. I'm going to get really good or I'm going to (laughs) quit. And everybody around me went, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there was a pro that had come to town and he said, okay, I'll work with you. I mean, he's a new pro at the club and he said, I'll work with you, but I'm going to own you for six weeks. And he did. I did everything he told me to do. And uh, it was an amazing change. It almost, it was like, it's not duplicatable what he had me do, but in six weeks time, I put together a golf game, which was just crazy. But I went from shooting 95 as an average to I shot a three putted the the final hole on this one game that he allowed me to go play six weeks later. 
and my buddy of mine was playing with us and she said, oh my gosh, if you sink this putt, you're going to have a, a, a 77. And I'm like, 77? I never broke 90. How in the world can I break 80? And real life came back. I was thinking that you were going to say you you averaged around 125 or 100 and something. Oh, when I started, <laughs> when I started playing golf, I had 140. They gave me the highest handicap that you could have. <laughs> you know, it's like there's hope for anybody if I could do what I've done. But what happened in that six week period was that I learned the value of repetition. I learned the value of repetitive drills. And um, I didn't have a clue about the happy word, which was this is part of my training. But I um, went on to um, the mid 80s, 1989, I became involved with a, a golf company out of Chicago and um, still in Texas. But by that point, I had gotten a divorce and, you know, new life was going on and you were beating your husband in golf? Mm -hmm. No, you got emotionally I did. I, I did emotionally because um, it became the thing that I could dive into that the negatives that were going on in my life couldn't affect me. Yeah, sure. And uh, that's really, I think, part of where my happy word came from. And um, but it was it was like it was mine. It belonged to me no matter what he said or did to me to upset me, he couldn't take that away from me. And um, anyway, I turned pro in uh, 1989. I joined the LPGA in, I think, 94. And in the beginnings, I created, uh, I, people came out of the woodwork after I'd helped this one person that with what I was doing, she had had a stroke and she was at this golf course where I was playing my last amateur tournament. And I'll always believe that was a God thing that I learned all because when I was doing that six weeks, I hit a thousand to 1500 balls on the range before I ever went to the chipping green to then practice. I practiced eight hours a day, six days a week mm -hmm. for that six weeks. My hands bled. It was like, you know, that is not duplicatable. There's just no way anybody's going to do that unless you're going to go turn pro. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there was huge help for her. And I always, in all of my teachings, I say, I thought what I was doing in all that training, because I continued working with him afterwards. Um, and I thought that was about my game. I thought it was to put my game together so that I could become a pro if that's what I, you know, was supposed to do. It had nothing to do with me. It was so I could help other people. And this lady that had a stroke, she said, I want my pro to see what you're telling me. And I'm like, oh, okay. She'd been a club champion there. And I said, okay. And we walked down this long hallway that she drug her leg and had my golf club in her hand and I always laugh and say by the time I mean I'm from Texas I say what it is you know and when we got to the pro shop where she wanted to tell her pro and I thought he'd be so excited and she said look I'll be able to play golf again 
And when we walked that long hallway, I've never seen, that was my first at seeing determination and persistence in a person. And I always say, it looked like she'd gotten a boob job down that hallway because her chest was completely elevated. It must have been the same kind of a feeling you got when you first were able to hit a ball yeah. in the air, yeah. right? Yes, it was. You know, what happened that day is really important because he said it'll never work. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, looked at her, looked at that golf club, and her chest completely went down. And I'm like, you're not doing this to her like was done to me. Uh-uh, this isn't happening. And I went to the driving range and got my balls and I knew they were watching me from the pro shop and she sat on a veranda and watched me. And I put my left hand in my shorts in the back. And when I hit that thousand to fifteen hundred balls, I hit them with my right hand. Then I hit them with my left hand as though I were right handed. So I had hit thousands and thousands of balls with only my right hand. I knew I could. She didn't know she could. And I put my left hand in my shorts in the back. And for an hour and a half, I went through every club in my bag with just my right hand. And I always say to my students, it's this was like Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. And I was standing on that stump waiting. That was exactly the person that was supposed to see what all that training was about was to teach others. And so my program took a sidestep being, I became the girl that was, you know, the girl that the who, the go-to girl for people with challenges. And I said, that's not what this is. It's that I'm bringing hope to everybody. And yet the system that I developed was in working with the people that had challenges. And I would say, do you remember how to? No. Do you remember how to? No. Do you remember how to? No. And I had to come up with a simple picture, a life metaphor that they could remember. And when those hit, they went, yes, of course I remember where that is. I'm like, oh. <laughs> what was and the metaphor? Well, it was like I wanted them to do a little short shot that we were barely off the green. And I'd say, yeah, do you remember? Do you have to do? No, 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 no. And I said, do you remember where your ankle is? And they went, oh, well, of course I know where my ankle is. I said, okay, good. Could you swing that club head back to your ankle in the back and just to your ankle in the front? And they went, of course I can do that. And they did. And I'm like, wow. And then I said, do you remember where your knee is? Yeah. And I said, could you swing it to your knee in the back and your knee in the front? Yeah. And they did. Do you remember where your hip is? Yes. Could you swing it to your hip and then just swing forward? Yes. Do you remember where your shoulder is? Could you swing it to your shoulder in the back, the club head, and swing it to finish? Yes. Okay. Let's take it a little higher than your shoulder and then just swing all the way through. Okay. So the thing that children learn first are body parts. Those words are the first words we learn. And the person that a lot of the things were gone from their memory remembered the body parts. 
And when I made the five ball drill that I have, it's based on their body parts. It's ankle, knee, hip, shoulder, full swing. And the full swing is the combination of ankle plus knee plus hip plus shoulder. And so they all could do it. And what happened was it didn't matter what kind of challenge they had. What I discovered was there was the same result. And uh, the first time it happened, I went, oh, well, that's strange. That's interesting. And then it's like, oh, that was, oh, wait, that's not a coincidence. That's the same thing. And it was like people that were amputees, people that had strokes, people that had MS, people, all kinds of things. The difference was, this is where I came up with the happy word. So when they would take a swing and hit the hit imaginary balls and then they'd take a swing and hit the real ball and I'd have them say whatever was a word or a sound that made them giggle, like you were tossing a ball with a two-year-old. And in that five-ball drill, what happens is an evolution of the shot where it goes from, God, this is horrible, to that's not so bad, to wow, to oh my gosh, did you see that? Because each time they do their five swings with the real ball, they identify the positive input that they would say to a two-year-old. And the two-year-old is your little inner child. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's really amazing, Martha Sue. It, it's, um, so, you, so you got so much more out of golf than you ever expected to. Oh my gosh, never would have. Yeah, I thought it was all about me. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny how we look at that and it had nothing to do with me? And did it make me a good golf game? Yes, but it wasn't about me. It was to make me the messenger. I've always said that. And when I really figured this out, it was I was the messenger. So tell us a little bit about the business you then created. Well, like I said, it was um, centered around in the beginning of people that had different challenges and I didn't want to call it something for people disabled and I saw this sign that said bionic week believe it or not I can and I said this place where I was asked this yours and they said no so I went I was doing a newspaper interview that day and I went to the city hall in Dallas and registered that name every way upside down and backwards that I could because it said everything. It was, believe it or not, I can golf. And you can too. It's like, you know, it's like, believe it. So bionic is an acronym for believe it or not, I can. Mm -hmm. And um, then I formed a nonprofit. And um, then in 2002, I left Texas in a 1973 school bus RV conversion. I always say a tongue in cheek RV conversion. Um and uh, going on a tour to take hope, basically, take this message of hope across the country, working with families that had children or adult children with challenges and working with other PGA and LPGA pros like myself that they would get CEU credits for attending a two-day school of mine. And uh, I went over 16,000 miles in that old school bus and wound up in Florida, couldn't get back to Texas because of a hurricane. So then I wound up living in Florida for four and a half years. And I said, you know, I've always had the most 
non-profitable non-profit in the world because the media was always really good to me because they knew that I did everything out of my own pocket, basically. So the business structure that I had was not particularly financial. I um, I was the epitome of the person that has um, the social reward mm-hmm. instead of the financial reward because I changed lives all over. And people from other countries countries actually came to see me, and. Um, then 2006, I knew that I had the most non-profitable non-profit and, uh, was introduced to somebody. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's, I admitted it. I said, you know, it's like, it doesn't make any money. And, um, in order to pay the bills, you had to have some money. So I went to, um, a training that was, um, CEO space where you work with other, business people to learn what's the next step for your business. And so I moved to the model of becoming a for-profit and changed the corporate name to Bionic Golf Pro, which I had been called since 1989 and um, made that the corporate name and would still have the nonprofit as Bionic Golf, but would have the for-profit as Bionic Golf Pro. and people would say, I'm not disabled. You can't really help me. There was this stigma Mm. because of what I had done before. And on my website, I had a a page with interviews of students that was called Empowered Golfers. And it was just last year, because I couldn't see the forest for the trees, but I was also fighting to hold on to that bionic golf because it had such a dear part to my heart, you know, and yet here right on my website, I had empowered golfers that by them going through the training, they became empowered. And what I taught them was that I gave them ownership of their game. It wasn't that I own their game, which when you go to a pro to take lessons, they own your game. Like I said, that pro said he would own me. Mm-hmm. And So last year, I determined in relaunching my virtual school, but from a different perspective on Thinkific, and I determined that I needed to come up with a different name. So I got the trademark. I filed a trademark for Empowered Golfers, and that's where that came in. Tell us, for those who don't know, uh, what it means to have a course up on Thinkific and how our listeners can take advantage of the course you offer? Okay. Well, the course on Thinkific, um, it is a platform for you to be able to have an online school. And it took me a while because I'm not the best techie person in the world. It's taken me a while to really understand it. That was funny because when I went back in, it wasn't quite so hard anymore. It's just funny how we learn that way. But um, it is... The website is empoweredgolfersplural.com. Mm-hmm. And I actually have the first school that's there and they can see the classes for that. But I am uh, in the process of renaming some of those and re, um, revamping some of the learning process. It's all the same thing, but putting in a little different 
packaging, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the new school will be on your game, on your life. And it's on, it will be there. Um, I'll have that done within the next up and running in the next probably month that it'll all be up and flowing. That school will start on January the 7th. I think it's the first Thursday after the first week of January. And um, so I'm very excited to be able to bring, because what I've done is in the last year in the business perspective here, I've totally revisioned where I was going and that now my focus, instead of just wanting to make you the golfer feel good about yourself and your golf game, I want to help you feel good about the golf game feel good about yourself. Hence your life has changed based on your golf game. That's where you begin through the drills that you do and you're changing the result that you get in your game actually carries over whether you would want it to or not. It changes your response and your reaction to things in life. Martha, so could you give us some examples of what people have said about how this has changed their life? Oh, sure. It's uh, well, one of the funny, one of the guys who took my original school back in 2006 and talked about probably not high techy. I had a little camera that I put on top of my computer and then sent them out their lessons to go and practice. And then we did a conference call that (laughs) that's how we did our um, our weekly get together was a conference call, which is funny. But he was, he taught uh, e-learning at two different universities. And when he took my school, he said, I can't even imagine how you can teach a physical school mm-hmm. via being online. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't see how that can happen, but I'm game to learn because my golf game struggles. And he taught speech. And um, he had some students that were uh, had some challenges, but the, this was at the college level. And in his testimony about what he gained was that he was blown away by the way I could convey the message of what they were to do in an online course. And that he had used the happy word and the teaching, the process, this, the mental side changing with his students so that they could use that before they went on to do a speech wow. and uh, how that changed. I had one teacher that taught in elementary school and she was using the process with her little kids in the classroom, had them all come up with a happy word and they were using their happy word in the classroom. And uh, one lady was saying her husband was a very avid golfer and she had her own entrepreneurial business. And she said she drove the golf cart when they had family reunions and she would drive the golf cart for her husband. And now she was able to go and be a participant, not an observer, how she was able to go out. It had completely changed her vision of what golf could do for herself personally and her husband as them a couple. There were lots of life changes for for me in one of the aspects of owning your game. And I said earlier that I taught people, it's like, okay, here's the lesson. Here's my book. Here's the videos. And I'm going to teach you all of it. I'm going to give it to you, right? 
like I'm going to give you your game, not me holding on to a little piece of it. And someone said, I just figured out what a golf addict is. I said, yeah, it's somebody can't get enough. And the guy said, no, it's not. It's somebody that keeps going back to a pro who owns their game and they get little cracker crumbs that they keep coming back because they didn't learn it all. And you give everybody all of it. You really give them their game. And I said, yeah, I don't want their game. You know, that we talk a lot about mindset. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it seems to me that, that anything you're successful at requires a certain type of mindset. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, have, have you had any education around this or has this all come through the game of golf? It's all come through the game of golf. In fact, when I was on the tour, somebody said, well, you're doing neuro-linguistic programming. I said, I'm doing what? <laughs> Didn't have a clue what it was. And what's funny is I looked up what that meant and actually they copied what I was doing which they did <laughs> you know it's like I didn't even know how to say it in the beginning much less know how to do it and uh, basically what you're doing is action with positive input then I started researching and in my book my uh, instruction book which is large um I actually give references to the documentation behind what I had discovered by, do you remember, by the trial and error that I did, there was documentation by all these high-tech study people that said, if you do this, this is what you get. And I got it by trial and error with my students. So, no, I never had any... Uh, formal inter- entertainment. <laughs> it would be entertainment. I had no formal education about mindset other than um, just the results that I witnessed in my students. And like I said, when I had all these multiple similar changes in my students that had challenges, I I had a group of able-bodied single people that I was working with. And I went to them, they met with every Saturday morning at nine o'clock in the morning, religiously, they met me at this driving range. Some of the girls would come in in high heels. And I said, I don't even want to (laughs) know. And yeah, just keep it to yourself. I don't even want to know, just put on your tennis shoes and let's go. And um, I said, Okay, humor me. Let's go through this process that I've been doing with them. And I told them the story. I said, let's Give me six weeks and let's see what happens. I had the same results with each one of them. They moved forward in such rapid speed that it was astonishing because it surprised me and it surprised all of them because essentially what this simplicity of this does, it erases the confusion that you have when you go to a person that teaches normally and you're looking at them like, oh, my goodness, my elevator's at the top floor, but there is nobody home because you don't get it. <laughs> you just don't get it. And, and yet you're supposed to understand what they're saying and convey that to your brain to be able to convey it to your body parts, mm-hmm. your arm, your limbs, to do what this confusion is in your head. It will not work. It just doesn't work. 
And so that was really, I, I, at that point I said, Don, I'll never teach that other way again. I had to, in order to get my class A in the LPGA, I had to go along their format to get approval to teach. And so, I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of because you guys are wrong. What does it mean to you, for you, Martha Sue, to be uh, the LPGA Teaching Professional of the Year? That was a huge honor. I mean, that really, um, that is an organization where it's not the LPGA. It's an organization of, of professional people. And when they found out what I was doing in the relaunching of this being um, a process to bring it to executives and professionals and help them understand how they don't have to be afraid mm. to be out to use golf as a tool to get business. Because if you're a professional and you're not taking your boss to the golf course with you, you know, it's holding you back financially because you are afraid. Mm. And so what they, they loved the idea that I took away the confusion and the fear of the people that were wanting aspiring golfers. They wanted to play. They wanted more from their businesses and they were afraid to go and get it. There's 32.1 million golfers in the United States alone. Mm-hmm. What a networking pool, right? right? Truly. <laughs> yeah. So, and that was the huge honor to me that they looked at what I was doing and pick me. That was awesome. For sure. As as you're talking, I'm thinking that that what what a path, what a what a process you've gone through. And at 71, you are launching online virtual material that is is um, you know some people at your age might think that it's not possible. How can I learn all this technology? How can I do it? And so you're, it's really inspirational to see how you have moved forward on your path, changed from, from charitable to also doing for-profit and uh, putting all of this online. You're, you're, you're very inspirational, Martha Sue, and we so appreciate your being here today. As we leave, I'm wondering, what do you see the future holding for you as you look ahead to your 80s? I loved that question. I was like, well, I don't even know I'm 70, first of all, and I'm 71. (laughs) And that's, you know, it's like, oh, that's the greatest thing in the world that you had this show. That's the women over 70. I thought that is so cool. And then it hit me that I could be one of your people. (laughs) Uh, Because I don't, I don't think of myself as 70, because I certainly don't act 70, whatever that number is. But the launching of what I'm doing is, um, and the rename, which is really fun, the renaming of the course to be on your game, on your life, uh, and and directing that at that. Because from the stage when I said the end result of what you get with my training is that you own your game. And that was the piece that got the connection to all the podcasters. They were like, holy cow own your game. So uh, that was pretty smart. I changed the school name to that because if it got them, it'll get other people too. Cause that's what it is. Sure. And uh, I've already come up with the name for the next, the next step of this. So the graduates of my 12 week program will be offered another school. And that course is on your finances. And 
that will be them for a 12 month program of them digging in and coming up with a solution to their six figure problem, but through mm. your golf game. Wow. It's, <laughs> it is fascinating. We just can't thank you enough for being on our show. Thank you for having me. Your story is tremendous. I know our listeners will really, really be happy about it. So listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts on Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions, add to the conversation, tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about, and, and please be an active participant in our community. Invite your family, friends, colleagues to join in. Our goal is to create an intergenerational conversation. So you can access our weekly Wednesday podcast at womenover70.com. And if you know a woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. Thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of the recording space. See you next week on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.